Good evening, everyone. Welcome again to this evening's salon, and, uh, which is titled Mobilizing and Activating Anti-Racist Faith Communities, Worship and Education. Uh, again, my name is Bertram Johnson. I'm the Minister of Worship, uh, Care, Worship, and the Arts here at Middle Collegiate Church, and I'm grateful to be on the stage with three of my amazing colleagues. Uh, I've been at the church the least amount of time, and so they've been doing this work uh, for decades, and some, well, not decades, plural, but for years, for years. And I will say, honestly, it's amazing uh, coming into worship each week and seeing the diversity uh, of styles that are presented, uh, the, the variety of skills and leadership that each person has, but the integrity, uh, the sense of truth, uh, and individual honesty that comes into worship, but also the spiritual truth uh, that's present in all that we do. And so I'm grateful to share the stage uh, this moment with uh, Dion McLean Freeney, with Tammy Petty, and John Del Cueto. And I said what I do, so I'll let each person say what they do, and then John's going to lead our time from there. So I uh, am the music director for the band. That's it? Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the umbrella of it. The, a little, well, about, okay. Uh, so I'm a uh, musician, arranger, composer, um, choral director, um, all around New York musician, hustler. Um, I'm a good Jamaican, which means I have a lot of jobs at any time. Um, and an artist, child of God. Yeah. yeah. I'm Tammy Petty. I am the music director here, and I am a soprano by night. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I have a couple of really cool gigs coming up that I'm preparing for, uh, singing lots of high notes. And yeah, it kind of rattles your brains when you sing that high. Uh, but I also teach college. I teach uh, college courses and uh, private voice lessons at William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey. And I teach at Brooklyn College. Brooklyn! And, uh, and I sing at Central Synagogue on the weekends. It's my uh, other spiritual practice on the weekends. And I have the pleasure of working with all of these people on a regular basis. It's pretty awesome. Whoa. Um, my name is John Del Cueto. I've been here at Middle now for about 11 years. And um, through those 11 one. years. Decade plus one. Decade plus one. Not decades, but decade plus one. Yes. And there's been a lot of transition in worship. It's, it is an open process, and it's definitely larger and broader than any of the other churches I have worked at. Um, but from the get, it was different. Um, one thing you'll hear uh, in common about the musicians here is that we have several jobs. So I'm here at Middle, but I'm also a freelancer in the public-private uh, and charter school arena. So it just depends on how that works. I have my own company, but I also work 
uh, for a company uh, out of the Bronx. So I'm at uh, Cardinal Hayes High School. I have a boys uh, choir there. Uh, I do work at a charter school, um, Bronx Global Learning Institute for Girls. It's bilingual, uh, K through eight. And then little peppers here and there so that everything comes together at the end of the month. And <laughs> uh, it's a blessing to to be in that race, to do music, because it's something I really love. I did, uh, I did Wall Street for about 17 years, and yes, and that was really intense and not uh, life-giving. So this is life-giving and intense, but I enjoy what I do. And so in terms of uh, the worship, which is what we came to talk to you about today, just kind of our perspective. And really, um, we'd also love to hear from you because usually there's questions. Has anybody, did anybody see the CBS special? Did anybody see that here in the room? Right, it gives you just a little idea of what happens, but uh, how many, you, this is like your second, third, or fourth conference, you've come more than this time. Okay, so you're kind of familiar, you've seen the worships and stuff, so, so we're kind of talking to a lot of folk that, that know kind of what goes on. So we just thought we'd talk to you a little bit about how it all happens, because each church is different. I've been in churches where there's no collaboration, uh, but this church is the exact opposite. We are in the room where it happens, right here, people. Oh, yeah. Can I say, I realize, like, I'm a pastor, but people also don't understand some of my background. Prior to coming to Middle, uh, I lived, well, on the West Coast for a number of years, and after finishing seminary, decided that um, I really want to dance. And so I worked as a dancer-singer, primarily in musical theater, for at least 12 years or so, maybe probably more, on the West Coast. And then I aged out, and then God said, you got to come back and do church stuff. And so, <laughs> and so that's why I'm here. And so it's, it's, it's really an, uh, a joy for me to be able to enjoy more of my crea the creative arts, but in a worship experience that's so dynamic and changes each week in such a unique way. Um, and be able to, you know, do, to enjoy a church that does sort of more high-end uh, choral music, but also great gospel music and spirituals and um, pulling from the popular vernacular and Broadway. Uh, it just feels like in this amazing space to be and to be able to grow in all my gifts and all the things that are meaningful. Because I think middle does that in such a way that draws people in that whoever you are, some part of you is going to be fed that day. And maybe a part of you that you didn't know existed will be nourished in the way that you hadn't known. So, thanks. So I wanted to start with Dion because Dion plays a really essential role here at Middle in that she is what we call an MD. She music directs the band. Now at one point, you know, in the conversations, it's like, well, can you direct the choir and can you MD the band? And that was like a no because both are two totally separate worlds and require 100% attention, right? But Dion uh, brings a special expertise. Uh, how many people in your church just have an instrument, like piano, organ? Just that. Got it. Okay. And how many do have, might have a band of some sort or instrumentalists? Okay. Do you ever, uh, how many don't have it on a regular basis, but you might hire an instrumentalist, like a cello or flute or something to go along with, with what you're doing? Uh, 
okay, just to give Dion some perspective in the room, is she kind of talks about uh, how she sits at the table and, and the gifts that she brings. So, um, <clears throat> the first thing I guess I would, I would say is um, it's important to know what you want what you want the experience to be. What is the music that you're doing? What is the musical message that you're trying to give? And your forces, which is a fancy way of saying who your music people are, between uh, your, your instrumentalists and your vocalists, then you staff out that way. Um, and also, uh, pick your music based on your forces, that's gonna be, really, be really important. If you have people whose um, first talents lie in a classical arena, you might not wanna do R&B, because that might not work in their voices. And similarly, I'll be the first to say that even though I took classical piano as a kid, my classical piano chops are really not there, so you may not want to ask me to play you know, certain things. And I just, you know, I'm gonna admit that. Um, so know what your sound, know, know what sound you want to create. Staff that way. Um, and then also, collaboration is great, but somebody has to be in charge at some point. So you wanna have somebody who is strong enough to be able to collaborate and make a decision. Mm. The next thing is that, um, I do a lot of arranging on the fly. And what that means for me is that sometimes we will start out with a particular idea in a rehearsal, and then as things progress, it's gonna shift. And uh, it actually also happens to me in worship mm -hmm. while something was happening. Mm -hmm. This is what we're gonna do, okay. And so I, you, you might see me do it tomorrow. So I sit literally there at the piano and turn around and yell messages like, this is what we're gonna do, or if I have my iPad that day, it's gonna go on a sign, right? But, but your musical director um, really has to be facile enough to be able to do those things. So know what sound you want to create, staff accordingly. Um, collaboration is great, but somebody has to be in charge. And, um, uh, in within that, within all of those things too, be prepared to do stuff on the fly. Um, I think Dion, those are the primary things that, that I could say, and if you come up with a question at some point, and you, uh, that's great too. So that last piece about being able to move on the fly, can you speak to what experiences in your life led you to be able to do that in the worship context? So, uh, yes, I grew up uh, studying classical piano. Yes, I majored in music in college. The best training I ever got was doing it. And so, um, one of the best things that I ever learned how to do was to play by ear. Um, because there are things that you're gonna get, that you're gonna hear that may not be on the page. One of the other things that I've learned how to do very quickly is somebody can start singing and I can play for them. And that's not a gift that everybody has, but that's kind of an example of what it, of what it means to go on the fly. I have been at the piano and Jackie has started singing something and I've been able to jump in and play along. Um, I, I also, um, 
because I have an understanding enough of like the bones of music, which your music director really has to be able to have, and that's not necessarily a comes out of conservatory and has this kind of training, and you know, and that's that's not necessarily the kind of thing too. But also, if you have a kind of understanding of if A and B are put together, we're going to get C, and we're trying to get to C, and so I know what A is, and B is probably going to be this thing, and so we're going to get that way to C. Have that. As a, um, as, a, as a way to, to operate. I hope this is making sense. It makes sense in my mind. I'm, I'm hoping it makes sense. Um, uh, but, but those are the kinds of things um, that, I would, that, that I would say. Uh, and also, I grew up in a church that had seven choirs. And so we were doing lots and lots of music. We had lots of kids around, and so keep kids out of trouble. Stick them in a choir, uh, and and so there was a, you know so there was a lot of opportunity to to make a lot of music, and then I went to a Baptist Kojic church. Ask me later what that means. And a lot of times people would want to sing, but they didn't have any music, and they, so they had to start singing, and so I had to play for them based on what they were singing. But that teaches you to do stuff. On That's the, fly. the answer I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> that that last part, because I've been in many churches where I mean in some cultures. Uh, Predominantly black churches, but I'm not sure if that's exclusively the case. Where it I grew, ain't. right? Where there have been people who didn't have music or couldn't read a lick of music, but they were the church, you know, pianists, and they played for years. And Sister Willie Lee couldn't, you know, you could put a hymnal in front of her. She, she's like, "What's the name of that song?" Oh, I can play it, but didn't have like the training to read music. But there was something in the heart and the spirit and the years of being in church yeah. with the seven choirs and going to church six nights a week where she learned that. I just want to jump in there too because Dion gets thrown under proverbial buses on accident sometimes because somebody will come and they say, oh yes, I have music. And they give her the piece, but it's not in the key they sing it in and they don't know. You know, or they crack open a hymnal, let's do it here. Oh wait, can you do it a minor third down? Guess what? She can. Yes. She can. Mm -hmm. I've never seen her transpose something a tritone, but I bet she could if we asked her to do that. Don't put that in the universe, yeah, but, please. But that's a gift. That's a gift that she possesses. Is she can transpose at sight. She can listen and play at the piano, and she also improvises. Uh, it's incredible to hear her work with people of all different levels, which makes her um, such a commodity and an asset as a part of the team. Yes. Uh, and then in the collaboration process, uh, you know that we have a professional choir. And Tammy, as a music director, uh, is not just with the choir. She's in the collaboration process in worship. So I'm going to have Tammy kind of also speak to, to her seat at the table and the gifts that she brings. So I, I have the pleasure of working with this 12-member this professional choir soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and often we have four-part splits, but on the days we have eight-part splits or 12-part splits, I'm in heaven because it's just more harmony, you know? Uh, this group uh, sings, uh, we have a, I guess I should back it up and say that they don't sing every week, so I see them maybe twice per month, and uh, and we work together for something like a half an hour or something close to that. And we usually prepare two anthems for church and maybe a choral amen. Uh, if we need to, we look at the hymns as well. Otherwise, they can sight read that material in church. So the things that we, we rehearse, we do that day. And we only take about 30 minutes to do it. 
if we're lucky. Um, so uh, people in that group come from, uh, many of them have had music backgrounds, degrees in music. A uh, few of them sing on Broadway. A few of them are operatically trained and go off on a Sunday and go sing at Carnegie Hall for their next job or something. So it's, it's a neat group to, to interact with. And I started in the group. I started singing in the group uh, when Jonathan Dudley was the director here. Um, and they, I came in as a substitute in the alto section. And then when he, when he realized I was actually a soprano, he's like, well, well, you just have to sing soprano now. And I said, okay, sure. And I sort of came in as a substitute and kind of migrated and stayed in the group and sang for eight or nine years or something like that. And I've been in this position for almost four and I have loved it. And one of the other cool things, two other cool things about uh, the groups that I work with, I get to work with the In the Middle Choir, which is our um, largely volunteer ensemble. Beautiful, beautiful singers. I usually have um, disproportionate numbers in each section, which I know all of you who are choir directors have. You may, may get lucky and get one tenor. Maybe you have two. God bless you. But I have usually a lot of altos. For some reason, I don't really have many sopranos. I have one that comes. Uh, I usually have a lot of tenors and a lot of basses. It's unusual, but then I think, okay, what kind of cool stuff can I do that has like Devisi for the gentlemen? So it's more fun for the guys who are showing up, the lower voices who are showing up. Um, the other group I get to work with is called the Jammers, and they're a bunch of string players, ukulele, guitar, uh, bass guitar, that kind of thing. And we get together and just really jam. We jam out, and it's a neat way to have a small group uh, to get to know one another on a deeper basis. We pray together, we're, we care for each other, we are in more contact, I think, more than, you know, maybe some of the other groups I'm involved with because it's such a close-knit group. There are only like six of us in the group. Um, that group, and I'm gonna pass it to John in just a second, that group and some members from the Gospel Choir are, are some of the ones who also participate in our annual street fair that we do here, right out on Second Avenue, and they block off, they block off the blocks, and they fire up the grills, and we have all these cool T-shirts and music displays and stuff, and it's a great way to meet people in our community and draw them in to meet us. So that's the Jammers um, performs as part of that. And Tammy can say one of the things about sure. the, the work that you um, lead in your ministry here is that. Uh, actually, your choir often sings a lot a cappella. Oh, yeah, we do. You didn't say that. So, like, you talk about you rehearse for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, mm -hmm. but then you come and you give an offering without instrumentation, and the quality of the music is so so true and accurate, but so joyful and honest and at the same time. It's really beautiful. Thank you. This group, the, the professional group, they really love doing spirituals together and they really love singing a cappella. So it's a, it's a chance to kind of push their virtuosity to the limit and challenge them. Uh, and it's, it's a wonderful group. And I would say many of those people have been in this church, oh my goodness, long time. Some 30 years, yeah. some 25, some 22 years. This is a place that it really resonates on a spiritual level with people who've, who've been a part of that choir for a really long time. Yeah. I was wondering, Tammy, if you could talk a little bit because she, she was a member of the group. And how many were here who've seen Jonathan Dudley before? Has anybody? Yes, yes. So Jonathan is, he is a force of nature through opera, very well known. We were at, uh, 
we were at um, a talk with a, a wonderful soprano, Florence Quivar, who's already retired, and she happened to mention Jonathan Dudley's name in her talk, that Jonathan was, was like, is the one who encouraged her to go and continue with her career, and her career was huge. So that kind of thing, but Tammy stepped into that position, and this happens to us when we start at a church or we get someone, what was the dynamic when you came in um, and you changed from member to director? Was it smooth? What are some things that you experienced? That's a good question. I feel like I'm on The View or something. <laughs> Let's go to commercial break. Then we'd be talking a lot more say, up here in between. Right? Okay, sorry. I think that's a good question because I think in every work situation, certainly in every church situation, we're always going through some sort of transitions with our congregants, with one another on staff, uh, in a choir. Um, as you are growing, you're experiencing transitions. Um, so for me, it was... Uh, I, I was ready for a challenge, but I, I didn't think I was going to be stepping into a position like this. I was actually talking with Reverend Lewis, consulting to say, now, the person that you bring in here, they have to be, they have to know this congregation, and they have to know who we are, and they have to get us, and they have to know how to, how to bring it and how to make everybody feel like they're part of it, and we need to build more community involvement in our in our music and she's like okay yeah I think you're gonna help us do this and I'm like what so yeah I I, I got dragged into it but kind of excited uh, to be able to do it because I was really looking for an opportunity to work uh, with musicians at a really high level of music making and to have fun and to be sassy with them it's a very sassy group real real sassy the snapping for the sass <laughs> And, um, and, and I, I understand that, and I think having been a part of that group and knowing what they're capable of and also knowing what they were thirsty to be able to do, it sort of helped me tap into that quicker than bringing somebody in who, who didn't know us at all. Um, and so there was pain, I think, too. We all missed Jonathan, me included. Uh, we loved him. We still, we, he, he's around. He's living here in New York City. Um, but we loved him, and he was our fearless leader. And um, so, but we were really excited to keep making music together. I'm not sure if I totally answered that question, but I think you did. Yeah, gave us a little sense for yeah. it. Um, Transition. So, how many folks in here have a paid choir? Raise your hand if you have a paid choir at your church. One, two. Awesome. How many members in that? Fantastic. Graduate, undergraduate, because we're also talking about strategies. People hear like paid choir and like, oh, that's nice. Middle can do that, right? Um, and, and there's strategies. And Who, so, so there's another someone over here. over here? A hand over. Was there a hand over here? Yeah. No, it was back here. You have a paid choir as well? Another one here, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> Darren, yes. He's Guilty. a plant. Okay. He's a plant. Yes. Yes, it's a way to engage community and also give um, on up and coming singers an opportunity as well. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. uh, of those of you out there, 
how many people are from outside of the New York metropolitan New Jersey area? How, how many people? Okay. Okay. okay, that's quite a few. And I think as you leave this area, I think fully paid choirs or even partially paid choirs are not common, unless you're in really big cities uh, where they, yeah. Or churches with endowments. Yes, churches yeah. with endowments. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so I direct the gospel choir. So the gospel choir is not a paid choir. They come from the community. And there's about 40 to 50 members in the gospel choir. You'll see them tomorrow if you're in worship. And it's an example of what can be possible uh, working with community. And it's not something that I created, but it's something that Jerese Johnson created 33 years ago. So Jerese Johnson started a choir here uh, when Reverend Gordon Drott uh, was a pastor and maybe there were 20 or 30 members in the pews. And Gordon went out to the congregation, and he was like, well, what gifts and talents do you think you have that you could maybe start to build up, uh, to build the church up? And Jerese was uh, one of the elders here, and he said, well, let's start a gospel choir. And, and that's literally how it happened. Jerese was, I did not know Jerese, but we have people in the choir who did know Jerese and sang under Jerese. So for over 30 years, we've had folks in the choir that, that have that connection. And they used to call him the mayor of the East Village. So he was larger than life. He had this amazing personality. And it is his seed that you will see tomorrow. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. That time and that talent and that nurturing. Because a lot of times in churches, you want to just do stuff immediately. Let's have a 40-voice choir. Just call all the colleges. Of course they're going to want to sing with us, right? Not as much. One, because it's church, mm. right? And, and it's not in the vernacular anymore. But because Jerry spent the time to do that, other directors can step in and they can build upon that legacy. So I work with uh, the choir every Thursday night, and we sing usually twice a month in worship. I have readers and non-readers. I have singers and non-singers, right? But, but you have to know what your skill set is. And so my skill set is being able to take the voices and make them sound cohesive and like a group. You may hear them individually, and that may not be the impression that you get. But what's different about a choir is that everybody's voice matters. So if you're talking about social justice and you're talking about the church, I can't think of anything more amazing than choirs and pulling people in to let them know your voice matters, it's important. You should know the music. You should know your part. You should be responsible for that. Yes, you're a volunteer and this is a ministry. And then people step into what you create and then they carry it with pride and, you know, knock on wood, tomorrow they will deliver for you what they've been working on with pride and with joy and humbleness and, and to be a reflection so that somewhere in the choir, maybe you get to see yourself. Maybe someone gets to see themselves and they say, I can do that too. It's possible for me to do that worship. Um, and so that's a little bit about 
the choir. Why don't you tell, uh, tell a little bit more about how you uh, do some tracks so that they can practice mm -hmm. and how, how sections kind of bond together to help one another if somebody's missing? Can you talk about that a little bit? So if you have to play to your strengths, like I have many strengths and other strengths, just they're not there. But I do, how many use, have you used SoundCloud? Do you know about SoundCloud? Anybody SoundCloud? A couple of people? Oop, okay. So I make tracks, uh, not with GarageBand, but with Logic Pro, where I will sing the parts or play them for my choir, and then I will send them out uh, via Facebook, a link. Because he can sing every part, because John is uniquely <laughs> gifted in that way. He can. He can Actually, sing that is totally all the true. parts. Know your strengths, right? <laughs> because they have to be prepared. I have people who travel, they're in business, they're doing different things, they're not always with us. But when I say be responsible for your participation in choir, they're also checking in with their soprano, alto, tenor, baritone counterparts to say, did you record that rehearsal because I need to be ready for next week? Now, I don't know how many people do that in choirs, but the tape recorder uh, phone is your friend. So they will learn the part and then they will come in. Because this is like, it's an urban environment, it's moving, people are in and out. I wish it were your old fashioned church where people come here for 300 years and then they pass on, but we have a lot of people moving in and out. So you kind of have to have a strategy uh, to bring those people in. And so we do have members, members who are invested that says, you know what, uh, altos, let's have a rehearsal at my house. Let's get ready. You know, uh, for CBS, that happened in various instances. And people step up to the plate. And that is, is a ministry and, and growth. Uh, yes? I hear, I hear, is it Tammy? I'm yes. Saying? Tammy say that the, uh, I'll talk a little louder. No, I, 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 okay. Um, that the professional choir performs about twice a month. And it sounds like you said that the classic gospel choir performs about twice a month. I'm wondering, number one, is that alternately? And the other question would be, I guess, does the professional choir and the gospel choir ever perform on the same Sunday? And then the third question would be, is there any attitude or anything that goes on between the, the two different choirs? Ooh, I like that. Is there any attitude? Church Shh. drama. I know. <laughs> Oh, no, you have to, if you can't take on those questions here, where are you going to do it? I mean, you know what it's like, the dynamic anyway, right? But, but the whole thing about middle is that you're, you're, you're revisioning, you're, you're telling a different story. So at one point, back, 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 there was um, a slight hierarchy division. But the only way that that gets taken care of is that everyone who's running things is on the same page. If, if you say that doesn't go, then it doesn't go. And I would say, because John and I are, so we've become very close. I mean, I, I think we probably got to middle around the same time. It's just that he was working with gospel choir and I started singing in the middle church choir. But I think because the last three years, we've been working so much more closely together. We both are on the same page with messing things up a lot and doing things together. Sometimes we don't have enough time 
to prepare those things, and it, it is stressful in those instances. But I would say, for the most part, people are excited about working together. And to ask, answer your question about alternate, uh, alternate times in worship, yeah, we, we do alternate when uh, the middle church choir sings and when the gospel church choir sings. We didn't used to do that when we were only doing single worship. Uh, we would often have, like we'll have this Sunday, everybody will be with us in, in worship. Uh, all, the, all the choirs, the band, the organist will be here. Um, but when we, when we went to double worship without boring you with the details, we realized that the better strategy would be to uh, divide and conquer a little bit. So we decided that it would be better to have middle church choir sing on a given Sunday and then the next week uh, the gospel choir would sing. Now we, we plan this out about a year in advance. And so it, it takes a little, it takes a minute to sort of think through uh, the season, uh, what's happening in the world, what kind of major holidays are getting celebrated. And, and uh, Jackie and Bertram also help us think about when do we want to have everybody in the house together? We love having everybody in the house together at, on Martin Luther King Sunday. That's a blast. Um, what are the other ones? Easter, we love having everybody together. I'm trying to think of the other ones. Christmas. Christmas uh, we do Pride on a Sunday. Sunday. Pride, Pride, Pride is a big yeah. thing here in, at this church. We try to have everybody in the house on Pride Sunday, which is typically the last Sunday in June. This year it's the 50th uh, anniversary of Stonewall, so it's a big year for us, big year. So we try to make maybe five or six Sundays be all the family all together. Homecoming. Those are awesome. Idea. Those are awesome Sundays, and that's, it's, it, those are spe really special. We are well-oiled machines on those days, I would say. Did I answer your questions? Yes. Now, one, another quick one. Are the, musically, are the two services identical? Yes. Yes. Yep. The two services, the 9.30 and 11.45, are identical musically, uh, liturgically. Uh, I would say that some of the differences are we sometimes have different speakers doing a prayer. Uh, we might have a baptism at one. Maybe we have a new members joining at another. But we try to make the, the, the block pieces. The overall the liturgy elements. is the same. Yeah. And as Timmy said, like sometimes we'll do a baptism at one, but not at both. Or... Um, like on Easter Sunday, we're planning, we're receiving new members at our 9.30 worship, and there's a baptism at the, at the 11.45. That's the only difference. But right. everything else is, all, the liturgy is the same throughout. Right. And when we have communion, it's both worships that day. So that's a great question. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, um, quick, quick example. A couple of weeks ago, we actually had um, Aretha Franklin Sunday. And what that 
for, and, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, I believe what that centered around was um, who she represented in American music, who she represented as a black woman during Women's History Month, um, and also who she was as a musician, which people forget. We, we think about her only as a, as a singer, but we forget that she was a songwriter and a great arranger and a pianist and all of that. And so there's this whole theology, really, around that. There's also, for me, what I think of as the theology of pop music. Like, I think Bob Marley, all he lacked was ordination. He didn't need it. Right? Um, you know, in kind of the church world. So I would say, yes. There's more than one process. Yes, it can build around a song. Yes, it can build around a musical theme. Yes, it can build around a scripture. Yes, it can build around what is being preached and how to reinforce, how to use the music to reinforce the preached word. Uh, yes, so that's why I jumped in like that with that response. And the other piece about Aretha Franklin was that we celebrated her music on, what was it the 24th of March? And then the 25th was her birthday. It would have been her, her first, well, it was her first birthday after her passing. Um, so it was another way to connect to her in Women's History Month and to honor her life. And that came directly from Jackie. Mm -hmm. Jackie was like, we're going to have an Aretha Franklin worship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Because that, that's part of your question. And sometimes that is part of the process. It's like, oh. here's the senior pastor, and I want this. Yep. And there's amazing collaboration. So if you look at your bulletin for tomorrow, we're closing with uh, How Deep Is Your Love, right? That's a Bee Gees tune. So that was at the behest of Michael Ray Matthews, who's going to be singing tomorrow. But he had Jackie's ear, and he was like, oh, I've been really, I can see this at the conference. Uh, because I think I had suggested um, the Carly Simon Let the River Run. Mm -hmm. Right, so I had, I had put that kind of in the process and Jackie's like, oh, I don't know if I can get behind that, I'm not seeing it, but what about this one? Right, and so then we fleshed out that, we're like, oh, let's have Michael as a soloist, we can have this woman from the gospel choir that you'll see tomorrow, and that happens. Right, so there's collaboration and there's also edict. Right? Yeah. And, and you wanna be flexible in that thing, because if, if ego's a part of it, then you cannot be in the mix. And also, you, I would also say too, you know, our, our best intentions of planning a year ahead, sometimes you gotta shift when something, a great idea like this comes. And it was a cool brainchild to celebrate Aretha. But we didn't know back then that she would have passed. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know this was gonna happen. So we had to shift other gears as well. I think we had booked Sniffy that day, the, uh, the organist, but we were able to change it so that the whole band could be with us instead, and it worked out great. So, um, you know, we have the flexibility on our team that, that understands that as part of working here and part of making great worship come about, I think. But just as a super cool aside, it wasn't actually all of the band. We had one person missing, but of the, th of the four of us, three of us are black women. So imagine mm -hmm. having three black women over here playing Aretha music. Like, that's a whole piece mm -hmm. of theology, too. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality that not every church can do Aretha Franklin. Like, not everyone has the confidence or the, uh, the skill that's needed to be able to, to honor her or life. Or even the interest in taking a risk 
Right. To do that outside mm -hmm. of traditional mm -hmm. liturgy, to right. do that. Exactly. And I will say also for the How Deep Is Your Love, from what Jackie told me, and this is one thing, Jackie likes to plan worship a year in advance. Uh, I've only been here th since September, and so we've planned some months, and there was com conference coming up, and so we still have a lot to plan. But she told me that uh, Michael Ray Matthews actually recommended that song last year at yeah. the end of conference, and so now it's actually coming to fruition with him being here this year. So it's, it's not just, you know, like, oh, let's do this next month, but it, it's um, born out of seeds that were long ago planted. Trina. I just wanted to ask, I'm so fascinated by this as someone who enjoys all your music all the time, but you haven't spoken about the youth chorus, which I, you know, they're set Sundays for them, but how do you, you have children who can't read, you have children who can, you have children in the choir who write their own music, you have performers, like, that's also a part of the music ministry here, so I would... Yes, so we have the Village Chorus for Children and Youth, and uh, we meet every Sunday after worship, and we've scheduled them to sing every third Sunday. So from a parent standpoint, you always know you're singing on the third Sunday. It doesn't matter what month it is. Somehow, they do forget that it's third Sunday. <laughs> but the intention was that you'd always know it's third Sunday. And so we have a range of like age five to actually age 18. And it is a cohesive unit. Some have been together for like six or seven years. We generally can sing in parts. We can do two or three parts with the kids. And the, the intention has changed over the years for the choir, but now it is of service to the worship experience, basically. So we are preparing the kids to sing on uh, third Sunday, because before they would only sing like twice a year for special programs. So they're in the worship regularly and are a part of the experience. The congregation gets to see them and acknowledge them, and they get to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And as a child in today's world, to be acknowledged in a positive way is so critical uh they have some of them have blossomed and come they will never go back mm -hmm. to the way they were mm -hmm. they are out there right and middle celebrates that but it's not it's not so unusual i worked in an african-american church in harlem and the kids were always celebrated it didn't matter if they sang the best notes every mic every child got a, a shot at the mic and in tune or not in tune, everyone was encouraged. And you go away from that so tall and proud, and eventually you kind of fall into line because I see the kids later and they're singing, they're soloists. They needed encouragement. And so middle kind of is that role model for the kids, which has been a blessing. You know, we have um, at least one of our, two, two of our young people who compose. Uh, and have done things in concert here or uh, perform one of their pieces or one of them composes on GarageBand and played his piece as, uh, for a passing of the piece. So awesome. You know, this kind of music is playing and everybody's like, what's that? I'm like, that's Jonah's piece. That's really cool. So it's neat. John, John has sort of a, a skinny because he knows them and he knows what their gifts are. So it's neat to uh, see many of them get puffed up and get noticed like that. It's, it's a really exciting thing. The other thing about our children, I'm not sure John would say, is that sometimes 
their gifts are not necessarily musical, but they're there with you in, in village children, uh, you know, village chorus of children and youth. And so he tries to bring everyone to the table and find ways of getting them all involved. So maybe someone's got like, they've got extra stuff going on in their body. And so he figures out, okay, you're gonna play this rhythm. Ta, 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 ta. And then suddenly his piece that was um, vocal now also has rhythmic elements that some people are playing instruments. Uh, and I think that's uh, one of his gifts. He he's, recognizes other people's gifts and brings those to the table. So, like Dion was saying, your original concept was, okay, we're gonna have A, B, and come out with C. Well, you may have A, and you may have B, and you may have B prime, <laughs> and you, you may get C plus D in the end, but it's sort of a stone soup. You see what people bring to the table, and you take their gifts, and you make this beautiful soup out of it. Yes. Well, last year, Yes. And I was in the food line when you gave out the websites for the gospel oh. to go to for the... For so music and stuff. Yeah, where, where, where you can get the... Um, yes. Where you can buy sheet music? Yeah, yes. With all the gospel notes on it. So that classical... Yes. Knows how to play. If you give me your email, then I can, I can send it to you. For a resource, yeah. There's a Catherine yes. has a question. Here's why that's a really tough question. Because church is a niche in terms of market. Mm -hmm. So many, I grew up in the church, right? So you have this experience, and when you go to a church, you come with your library. Not necessarily of music, but church experiences. You know how it goes, if they're having an offertory, when to play music, when not to play music, watching the pastor. Folks that are in the church now may be coming from other backgrounds and they don't have that. And then the churches who are trying to create a music program and don't have a leader, 
it's very painful because you cannot create that church leader in 30 minutes. It's not a microwave process. It takes all of this growing and that's why kind of a lot of churches are, are dying. They stayed on for so long, the members didn't want to shift, and now they're down to a small amount, but they're, they're constantly in conversation about how can we improve, how can we make it better, uh, how do we end systemic racism. Mm -hmm. I wish it were one, two, three, except it's not. Because, the, because if you have a wheel and you have all these spokes, and at, at one time the congregation was thriving and amazing, but then little by little you begin to take one spoke away because you keep losing people or you lose a director or you sacrifice quality, after a while you have a tire that cannot sustain weight. And two spokes putting it back in isn't gonna work. And if there were something I, grew up in the church, my services were free. I played for my mom in Sunday school and in children's church, and I did all that. I don't know any kids that are doing that. Mm. And, and someone may have a better view than me, but when I see that happening in churches, I'm like, that is not a, I'm gonna fix it in 10 minute problem at all. And there's other issues at, at hand as well in the congregation. I wish it were just that you didn't have the music leader but it's that people in the congregation are trying to hold on to different pieces, right? So you bring in a person and it's like, no, we do it this way, we do it that way. Those 10 hold on really tight, they hold on tight. Uh, so I don't, I don't have a lot of good tidings there. I mean, I think, I think the, the key, you said it, is bring in somebody. Sometimes you have to introduce a new element in order to make change happen and so maybe you have the the wonderful people who sound like they're being tortured but then you bring in a guest who um you know who does who does something different um maybe if you're lucky enough to be in a college town college kids want to be able to uh do stuff um you know feed them buy them pizza give them 50 bucks whatever there's you know there's there's different ways there are different ways to do it, but I think ultimately what's, what is gonna happen is that if you want change to happen, somebody has to do the uncomfortable thing of, of making change in it and, it, and it's probably gonna have to come from the outside um, in. At the, at the risk of blasphemy, because I'm a pastor looking at this from a slightly different <laughs> perspective, I've been uh, insulted and attacked and chased down the street by music directors when I say that uh, sometimes the music directors choose music for choirs that is over their head. And if they were to just, you know, trying to sing a hymn in parts, lead a hymn in parts, when the congregation is not singing in parts, why are you putting your choir through that? Because a lot of times they're soul suckers. And you, you lose the soul and you lose the fun and then you lose the members. And sometimes, you know, I don't want to dumb down the music. Well, you know, Amazing Grace is dumbed down. You know, it, sometimes it's just that you want to push the upper limits of your choir, but you've got people who are not singers. And you, you have to work with what you've got, right? If you've got one spoon and an egg beater and somebody says, make a wedding cake, you, you might come up pretty short. 
I, I will say in respect and honoring our musicians here, I think uh, the feedback that I've received some is like, let's not push too quickly. Like we actually want the choir and the congregation to succeed. And so sometimes I or Jackie will have an idea, oh, let's do this hymn. And we're singing it together in her office. And John's like, yeah, well, the choir, the congregation doesn't really know that. And what's the best way to introduce it in a way so that people can actually hear it, can hear the, the, the text, the lyrics, so that they can engage it in worship and also know the tune. Because just because we sang it when we were kids doesn't mean that everyone else did. And we, live, we have such a diverse congregation with people from a variety of uh, faith and sort of life experiences that what we assume to be true may not be true for everyone. And so it's been a, a, you know, a growing opportunity for me and I think for us to figure out how do we introduce new music in a way that's gonna be successful for the congregation. And sometimes you do it, you know, you do it in one way congregationally or you hear it um, on a Sunday before and then you sing it as, as an anthem or a hymn the, the next week so that there's some exposure to it before you actually introduce it to the full congregation. And sometimes go back to go forward. Like there are lots of arrangements of hymns mm. that, that sound like new music, if you will. Sometimes you need to rearrange a hymn to, to make it sound like uh, new music, and then it gets people to, to sing hymns also, because that's a thing that doesn't happen a lot, too. I think people are really attached to the hymns that they are attached to, and they're wonderful, but you know, you might wind up singing like the same 10 hymns all year. Anton. Antoine, you said you had two questions. Is that both? Take, there was one last question. We're going to try to answer all three because we we actually have a staff meeting in 12 hours uh, and ready to get ready for worship. So, in this last uh, one here. Dion, you said this interesting phrase about the theology of pop music, and a, and a discussion I'm often in with my music director is what music is appropriate in worship. And um, as a pop music devotee, I will often put forward a song like Let the River Run, or whatever, because it feels to me 
let all the dreamers wake the nation, come the New Jerusalem, feels to me like that is a hymn. But that's not always the way he receives it. He really understands sacred music differently from the way I do. And so you guys have, more than one of you, especially you, Dion, have talked about popular music and how you're weaving that in and out. And I would love to hear you talk, any of you who have thoughts or feelings about this, around you know, what makes a good choice? What makes something legitimate for worship? Is it just like you feel it or you don't? And in that case, is it just personal to whoever's doing it that week? How do you guys, uh, how do you guys handle that kind of stuff? Because I can certainly see that when we do incorporate the vernacular music into worship, it's activating a whole different population, which I think is the future of the congregation. It's the younger people. It's a more multicultural group. It's the kids. And um, I don't want to really fight about it. I want to build a deeper understanding that everybody can just get behind. And that's the motivation behind my question to you. Three questions, three minutes. Go. <laughs> Maybe more than three. Yes. Yes, yes. I don't work with any choir, secular or sacred, without having them understand what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I have different approaches of music in my bag, whether it's Dow Crows or Orff Schulwerk or growing up in the church. We do all sorts of things. I will not, I would never want them to deliver a song that we have not worked through. Even if it's not your bag, you may not be Christian. But you have to have some connection to something, and that needs to be in the song. Otherwise, you're dead. Criticism, uh, love it, and it is an ego bruiser, but you have to be open to hearing other people. Because there's, there, there's a truth in there for you, and there's a truth in there for them as well. There is not a difference between secular and sacred for me. So I just want to tell you that I took the pains to get the definition because sacred says connected with God or dedicated to a religious purpose and so deserving veneration. And our experience as human beings is a religious, it is a spiritual experience. And so people can't always hear that. People don't understand because we're binary. And so it's like I cannot process. This is sacred. This is secular. I am classically trained, so I can only do this kind of music, and it must be at this caliber, and so I will sacrifice everything else. And that's a conversation with your musician, because if they're not in line with your vision, then you have other things that will not come to fruition. And so that secular, sacred thing, because someone talked to me this week at the conference, they're like, they said, I really like the talk, the talk. I'm like, well, what did you get from it? And she said, I liked what you said about secular and sacred, and that there really is, is a blurred line. Because when you, look at, when you look at Aretha Franklin Sunday, people were having church mm -hmm. with say a little prayer or natural woman. Right, which you wouldn't hear in a Baptist church, that's not gonna happen. But you will have church here because you recognize that God is not limited to the church, that God is in the concert arena and God is in the line at Subway and God is on your walk if you're present. If you're only looking for God here, you're just gonna be so disappointed. 
But when you see where God always is present, you understand that there is no dividing line. For me, for me. Uh, so, uh, John said most of what I was, what I was going to say absolutely about, um, uh, there really is no difference between sacred and secular. It's that we're trained that if God, Jesus, the Lord, Father, Holy, uh, are, you know, are not words that appear in the lyrics that it can't possibly be sacred. And that's just, and that's just not true if you read the lyrics. And I think that's probably the biggest, the, the biggest thing look at the lyrics, right? Um, in music, there are only 12 notes. There are only 12 notes. There are only 12 notes that make up a song. It's how you put the 12 notes together that make a song. So there really is no difference between sacred and secular because if you take the words out, right, you still only have 12 notes that are gonna make your song. Um, the difference between a piece of classical music and, and a piece of pop music or a piece of R&B music or a piece of jazz music is that there's, certain, there's a chord sequence that you're going to look for and you're always going to hear, right? But again, it still comes down to you got 12 notes and that's what makes up your song. And if you, put, if, if you say, I will follow him, follow him wherever he may lead, you could be talking about a man, but you could be talking about the man, right? And so it's all, it's all, it's all what the intention is behind it. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think if the intention is, is always righteous, right, then, then, then certainly if you look at the content of the songs, it will, it will work out. Um, you, some, something about the band, you said? Uh, we, well, I just mentioned uh, that sometimes, you know, you, don't, you may not have the same forces that middle church has, and you may be asking yourself, okay, we've got someone who is classically trained who we really want them to play Bob Marley, One Love, how are we gonna do this? You have to break it down and, and rehearse it and, right. and maybe you need to give them a drummer that day and maybe you need to think about those right. kinds of things and maybe bringing in one of your teens who's learning drums and marching band and who might be able to participate. And I look at these opportunities and go, how can we draw in members of the community to participate in this? And how do we augment the skills of the people who are already on board and right. still do the, the kinds of music and stretch our, our, you know, make our plates more full with, with pop music and things that we really want to do. And that's, that's an interesting mm -hmm. thing we have to figure out, you know, and each, you, you may not have a music staff of, how many are we? I don't even know. We're one, two, three, there, four, five, six. There are four of us Four in, in the band, band one organist. Me that's and John, five, that's six, seven. That's seven. Plus then we have a, a professional choir. That's a lot of people on a music staff. So um, yeah, if you don't have the individuals, then maybe you bring in someone who specializes or who can help augment that group. And buy the music for them and, and hand it to them. Sheet Music Plus, musicnotes.com, uh, N, letter N, timemusic.com. Buy the music and hand it to them. Friends, I want to honor the time of our staff. Some of us have been here for 12 hours today, and we have to be back for a meeting in 12 hours. Uh, you were given bulletins for tomorrow's worship. If you're not going to take that tonight and bring it back tomorrow, please leave it on the pew, and the ushers will uh, recycle them and actually use them tomorrow. Um, thank you for being here. Get some rest tonight, and come with hearts open for worship tomorrow. Thank you. This conversation could go on for another hour.
these are amazing uh, musicians and leaders in faith. Thank you, John, Tammy, and Dion. God bless you. Good night. <laughs>